Hey, Cornerstone. Hey, big shout out to Cornerstone Santan and Cornerstone Scottsdale. Just so thrilled you guys are joining us on live stream. And uh, in case you haven't caught on, uh, we're having a conversation about sex. And it's interesting because uh, as, as much as uh, the church has avoided this topic over the years, God has a ton to say about it. And maybe the most important things that we could ever hear are the things that God has to say about this bigger topic. And here's kind of the premise we've been going with. We've been asking you to kind of hang here for the conversation because this can be different. It's going to be different than what the world tells you. It's going to be different than what you see uh, on TV. Uh, but it also has a capacity to be powerful. And what we've asked you to, to do is listen to the conversation and consider this. Is it possible that what you and I have been sold, what, what you and I have been offered by culture is a cheap imitation, a plastic substitute for something that has the capacity to be so much more valuable, so much more impactful in our lives if we simply did this in the way that God prescribes in our life. Not that we would ever lose one ounce of the fun or a single bit of the joy or the wonder of this encounter between a man and woman. That's not what it's about. God's not about loss. He's about blessing. But is it possible that because we missed his prescription, that we've settled for something that is so far less, so much greater of a disappointment than we could have ever possibly imagined? And, and what if, what if we simply considered God's prescription uh, on this particular topic? And here's what we're going to do today. We're going to tackle what I think is the biggest lie that's being told in our culture right now about sex. And here it is. You ready? That sex is just physical, that it's possible for a man and a woman to have a sexual encounter, and it's simply a physical encounter. It doesn't mean anything. It's just two bodies rubbing together for mutual satisfaction. That's all it was, that, that somehow you and I are able to come bring only our bodies to that moment, somehow get a gratification, and then walk away, and nothing changes. It's only physical. And Scripture is going to come back today and say to you and I, you, this is an absolute impossibility. More than that, it's a lie. And the reality is, is that if you and I attempt to make only a physical connection with somebody else, we do this to our own harm. There, there is a woundedness that comes out of this lie that cannot be avoided. Because, because, because at the end of the day, you and I are going to discover that you and I are not just physical creatures. And if you and I swallow the lie, if you and I just look at this as a surface-only encounter between a man and a woman, that we have the potential of missing all the possibility for what God created this encounter between a man and a woman to do. We made, we made this little video uh, that really kind of sets up the whole idea that says, if you misunderstand what it is, then you may miss out on what it could be. So here's the video, see what you think. So dad, I've been meaning to ask you, how's it going with that new iPad we got you for your birthday? Good. Yeah, the app's working okay? Apps? What apps are you, are you talking about?
What? What if, what if, what if when it comes to this topic of sex, you and I have been treating it like a cutting board? That would be a horrible mistake. And here's what God's going to come back today and he's going to say to us, he's going to say, look, 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 this can never simply be a physical encounter between a man and a woman because you ready for this? Because there's so much more on the inside of you. And if you never explore that, if you never discover that, if you don't realize that, you'll miss out on all the apps. So here you go, grab your Bibles because the Scripture's going to explain this to us. It's going to help us walk through this conversation. It's Genesis chapter 1. I can help you get there. Uh, if you go to the front of your Bible, it's somewhere right there, okay? Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to peek into the moment of creation because God's going to say from the very beginning, I wired you differently than this. I wired you for so much more. Don't treat this as a surface thing, a physical thing. There's something on the inside which is far more important than what's on the outside. So here we go. It's Genesis chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 20. Here you go. Here's what it says. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing which are in the water, uh, which the water teems, according to their next word, kind. So it says, and God was creating a kind of thing in this moment. Something that was uniquely animal, and that's what it was, it was a kind of thing, okay? And every winged bird, according to its next word, kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water uh, in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind. Livestock creatures that move along the ground and wild animals each according to its kind. And it was so, and God made the wild animals according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Pause. Then. Then God decided to create a different kind. Then God said, let us make man in our image, different from the animals, different from everything we've created right now. Let's create something that is in our image. Interesting, God here uses the plural, in our image. Why is that? Because there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three who are one. It's the Godhead. And guys, I can't fully explain that to you. I can't. It so defies every, every known law of physics to us that three can be one, but here's the deal. God is bigger than the laws of physics. And here the Godhead says, look, the three of us who are one, let's create something that looks a lot like us, different from the animals. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let him rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock of the earth because this is a different kind. And over the, uh, over the stock of the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, get, get this moment here. We said that God is three. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet he is one. Three that are one. Now, here's the, get this moment. If you can follow me right here, this is going to make a difference for the rest of the conversation. You realize that animals have two parts. They have a body and they have a soul. They have a physical body that which you and I, we pet them and, you know, we eat them and whatever else we do. And then, and then there's the soul. It's what animates an animal. It's why an animal is not a plant. It can run around and it, it's because it has a soul. And you and I describe the moment in which the soul leaves the animal as dying. So think about this. An animal is two parts that are one, and yet when one leaves, we call it dying. Now, here's the uniqueness of humans. We are three parts. You and I have a body, you and I have a soul, but you and I now have something that no animal possesses, and that's a spirit. Three parts. It makes you and I different than an animal, and it's one of the fundamental reasons you and I can't have sex like an animal. Because every time we come to sex, we bring our spirit with us, the image of God with us. And it's why sex can never be completely physical. Guys, think about this, and, and, and if you think about it for just a moment, you know that you and I are very different from animals, that we have something stamped on us, a fingerprint of God, this image of God that separates us from the animal kingdom. Think about this for a minute. You and I have a conscience. Things that we do that are wrong deeply bother us. When's the last time you ever saw a great white shark right after it ate a baby seal pause in the water and say to itself, why did I do that? What, what, what was I, how could I have been so selfish? I bet you there's a mommy seal and a daddy seal who are horribly sad right now because I ate their little baby. I bet he had brothers and sisters. I bet, I bet that baby had friends. I think I'm going to be a vegetarian. You have never seen a shark do that. Why? Because he does not have this image of God in him, which causes conscience in us. When's the last time you saw a monkey pray? You've never seen a monkey pray, because here's the deal. The image of God is what causes you and I to have a longing. It's why there's so many religions in this world, because there's something intuitive in our humanness that's different than animals that causes you and I to long to connect with the Creator. It's the fingerprint of God on us. It's, it's the image of God in us. Why do you and I long for justice? Why do you and I watch a court case, and when the jury comes in, we're sitting there with bated breath going, please get it right, please get it right, please get it right. And when they get it wrong, you and I are outraged, and we go, where's the justice? Think about this for a second. If you and I are simply evolved animals, if the rule of this planet is survival of the fittest, 
then the guy who murdered the other guy was simply evolving. He was stronger and smarter, and he killed off the weak. And yet your heart violently knows that's wrong because it's the image of God. Guys, I just want to tell you, evolutionists hate the image of God. They can't figure this thing out because it makes no sense if you and I are simply evolved animals. It is the very touch of God in our lives, which is why, you ready for this? You and I can never, never come to sex and it just be physical because you and I always bring the image of God with us. All right, here's what I'm gonna do. Turn to the person sitting next to you and say to them, I am not an animal. No, I am not, there you go. How many of your wife just said, yes, you are? <laughs> yes. Guys, we're not. And because of this, because of this image of God placed in us, Every time we, a man and a woman, encounter each other physically, we encounter each other soulishly. There's something else that comes, just like the iPad is not a cutting board, it's not what you just see on the outside, there's so much more on the inside, and to neglect that, you do that to your own harm. So you and I as humans, if we think we can go into bed with each other and neglect what's on the inside, the soulishness of our, we miss out. Might as well be a $9 cutting board. It's an insane conversation that lacks understanding of how God created you and me. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians, and I'll help you here a little bit. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, start working to the left, you're going to find this book of 1 Corinthians. If you get to what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you've gone too far, come back to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 which has an absolutely powerful discussion about this inside of us that is involved when a man and a woman are together. And we actually kind of started this passage a couple weeks ago. You'll see a couple of verses that are familiar. And then it goes off into this new territory about the soulishness of the encounter between a man and a woman and why it is so critical that you and I understand this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 13. Here's what it says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both because, you know, this is just a temporary thing going on. And then it goes on, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is any encounter between a man and a woman or a man and anything else outside of the bonds of marriage, okay? Which means it's going to be premarital sex when you're dating. It means that it's going to be an adulterous relationship once you've become a married person. It means it's pornography. Saying, look, 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 don't you flee. Flee the sexual immorality. This is a big deal. The body was not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By the power of God, raise the Lord from the dead. He will also raise us. Are you ready? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her, 
For it is said, the two will become one flesh. And we've had this conversation about this meeting, this coming together between a man and a woman is not just a physical union. There's so much more uh, at stake in that moment. Verse 17, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And then here we go. Flee, flee, run away, run away, run away. As fast as you can run away, run away from sexual immorality. I'm sitting there the other night and I've got my iPhone sitting on the nightstand. Next to it, I've got a cup of tea that I've been drinking. Lisa comes to bed, she's moving all the pillows and setting all things up, and in the process bumps the cup of tea. I will tell you, I went into ninja mode. I watched as the cup of tea began to go toward my iPhone. I'm like, no. And with superhuman speed, I reached out and grabbed my iPhone. Why? Because water and iPhones don't mix. Water and iPhones is very expensive. Get this, get this, get this, get this. Get the moment. God is saying, flee sexual immorality. Why? Because he's a killjoy, because he wants to run. No. Because he's saying to you and I, sexual immorality and your souls don't mix. And you put those two things together, it is super expensive for you. And when you get this, when you understand this moment, you will be a ninja about staying away from sexual immorality in your life. It's too expensive. Back to the passage. Verse 18, flee sexual immorality. All other sins, get this, this is huge. All other sins that a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body, which is, think about this, guys. I can think of a lot of sins that affect the body. Suicide. Suicide affects the body. Gluttony. Gluttony affects the body. People who cut, that affects the body. What in the world is God saying here when he says every other sin that a man commits is outside of his body, but this sin, this sin affects his body? The reason you and I are confused is because this is in English. And it's unfortunate because you and I use the word body in more than one way. See, in other words, there's the most common way, and that would be, hey, it's his physical body. It's his flesh. And that's the most common way in which we use the body. But you realize there's another way that we use the word body. If we talk about an author who's written 17 books, we would say the body of his work. And what we mean in that moment is it's the total of all of his efforts. It's the body of what he's written. When we get to a lake and we're sitting in a little inlet, and then we would say, no, 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 the body of the water. And when we say that, we're saying, hey, the entirety of the lake. I'm not just talking about this little inlet here. I'm talking about the body of the water. I'm talking about everything all included. Okay, when Paul writes this passage, he could have taken the Greek word for body, which is sarx. And sarx simply means the flesh. That's how you and I, as Western Christians, would have thought of He could have used sarx. He doesn't. He uses the Greek word soma, which is the second way that we, you and I use body. 
It means the entirety. And here's what he's saying. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of his everything. Here's the word we, should, we would use. His personhood. Everything that is him. Everything that is her. And he says, look, there's something unique about sexual sin that affects my very personhood. It's different than every other sin that a person commits. No wonder, he says, flee. Don't even, don't even get close to this. This has such catastrophic potential in your life. Because, because, you ready? It is never just physical. Here's why. Because you and I were created in the image of God, because every time a man and a woman comes together, they bring their spirit, that image of God with them. The image of God has sex with them. And here's what you need to know. This spirit of God, this image of God inside of us is sticky. It longs to make connection with another human. It's how God built us. It's what's different than us and animals. No, no monkey jumps on another monkey and says, hey, let's have a relationship. But you and I are different. And our soulishness, our spirit, that image of God in us longs for human connection. And it comes to that physical moment, which is supposed to be the celebration of the soulish connection between a man and a woman. And you, no matter what you do, I don't care what you say, soul, would you just go to sleep for a minute? Would you just close your eyes for a minute while we do this physical thing? You can't. You cannot exclude the soul from that encounter. And it comes sticky, which is why Here's a gal, and she's dating, she's dating her 17-year-old boyfriend, and he says to her, look, look, I love you, and we're going to get married. And so now he's pressuring her to be with him physically. And here's what she says in her heart. Well, I love him. I love him. So, I mean, that means it's okay, right? And I'm planning to marry this guy and bear his children, so it's all right. And so they have sex, and they connect. At least she does. Because you, how many of you guys have figured out women are much more sticky than men? They just are. It's why, it's why after a physical encounter, the women all want to define the relationship. What does this mean? Are we dating now? Where is this relationship going? That's the soul of her responding to the moment. But here's the deal. Jeff goes off to college, and now there's plenty of other women, and he's not ready to be tied down. And her soul is now ripped. And now the next guy comes along. And because she's already crossed and she's already gone there, and because she's already walked past a moment that her heart knew she shouldn't have walked, it's so much easier to do this the second time. And so now she's with Bill, and then he's gone. And now there's that office relationship, and then it's over. And then there's that guy she's dating, and then she finds out later that she, he's married. You get that with every single encounter, something changes about the stickiness of her soul. Do this enough times, 
you lose sticky. It's why God, you ready, ready, ready? It's why God said, flee. There are huge consequences to putting water in an iPad. There are huge consequences to giving ourselves physically to each other because our souls come with us. And when we do this as if, as if it's recreational, we cause damage to our souls. How many of you have figured out that men are less sticky than women? See, we're, we're, our tape's a little different. We're kind of painter's tape. And we do, look, this is why guys can convince themselves that it's only physical. That's why a guy can go off and have an affair and he turns to his wife and says, oh, I was just physical. Because we are so much less in tune to the stickiness of our souls. We, we just don't, and a lot of this comes, remember, remember we said, men are emotionally modest. We're not even in touch with ourselves that well. And it's one of the reasons that we tend to be less sticky. I think there's a tendency for men to go, well, you know, if I didn't start off that sticky anyways, what's the big deal if I lose it? What if the answer is just the opposite? What if, guys, the very fact that you and I start off less sticky makes it that much more important that we don't lose it. That when we come to that incredible relationship with our wife, we have stickiness to bring. What if it's actually more important for a man to remain sexually pure? Because we have so much less to work with in the beginning. How crazy is this? How crazy is it that you and I will treat an iPad with honor and we abuse the most precious, amazing, expensive gift that God ever gave us outside of his son? How warped are we? How silly are we in that moment? I'm gonna, I'm gonna call out the guys. Because if there's any chance for us to change this conversation, I'm convinced that it's gonna take men stepping up to be men. That men, you and I, are the beginning of the problem. You and I are the ones most often causing the pressure. You and I are the ones most often setting the tone. And if we're gonna turn this around, it's gonna be men stepping up to be men. They're gonna turn it. You get that this culture is all about affirming and breeding selfish men. That, that, it, that it says about sex, just treat it like a perpetual spring break. And in this moment, our male culture has become absolutely selfish. Because here's the deal. Do you know that scripture calls the guy who would pressure a woman into having sex with him especially knowing that it violates her heart and violates her soul, that he is deeply, deeply selfish. Matter of fact, Scripture would say, this guy is a thief. Matter of fact, go back to the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right where we were reading, now verse 19. Don't you know 
that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you receive from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Here's what it's saying. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, men, you don't own you. It's not your body to give to anybody. Because in the moment you became a Christian, the moment you said, Jesus Christ, I know that I've sinned, I know that I need a Savior, I'm asking you to take the price you paid on the cross and pay that for my sins. The moment you did that, you took the pink slip of your life and you handed it to God and you said, you own me now. Which means, men, you have no right to give yourself away physically to anybody else because you don't own. No Christian can ever say, it's my life. It's God's life. And further, she doesn't own her. If she's a Christian, if she's a Christ follower, she exchanged herself in that moment that she accepted Jesus as her Savior. She has no right to give herself to you physically because her life now is simply on loan to her for the glory of God. And when you take her physically, You're a thief, stealing what belongs to God. There's a second thing about this guy. This guy is a wounder. This guy is a guy of destruction. Think think about this guy. In our culture right now, there's such a huge conversation about hitting women. And I just want to say that. I totally affirm that. I just, I'm a pastor. But I'm just going to tell you, when I hear that a guy hits a woman, I just want to go share with him in the wonder of Jesus, okay? And it probably wouldn't be very Christian, but he'd get the point, okay? So you understand, it's so, but here, let me ask you, if it is vile for a man to hit a woman, how much more vile is it for a man to wound a, wound a woman's soul? You tell me which one is harder to get over. See, I, you hit a woman, there's going to be bruises. She's going to get past that. Her body's going to heal. But you wound her soul? That may be a lifetime. And then, guys, you realize you wound her spiritually, too. Because in the moment you say to her, have sex with me, and she knows that it's outside of the prescription of God and that it's wrong, here's what you make a force a woman to do. Do I love my boyfriend or do I love my God more? And the minute she chooses you, she brings absolute damage to her relationship with God. And you forced it. There is a guy who's selfish. It's what's gotten us to where we are today. There's another kind of guy. There's a man of honor. A Sean Lowe type of guy who simply says... I will never, never, never take advantage. I just won't do it. I will treat her in the very same way that I hope whoever is dating my future wife is treating 
my future wife right now. And, and you realize this guy of honor right here understands that while he is dating her, she is simply on loan to him until they get married. And the chances are she's going to be someone else's wife. But even if they are going to get married, she still doesn't belong to him until he stands at the front of a church and swears before God to care for her. A man of honor is not a wounder. He's a builder. And his heart is that for the fact that she dated him, she would be better, not worse, not wounded, not broken because she dated him, that she would be better, that she would be a more confident woman, a more capable woman, and more importantly, guys, you ready for this? That she would be closer to Jesus because she dated you. How powerful would that be? How powerful would it be that the testimony of the men of Cornerstone, if every woman that you and I dated said, dating that man did more for my Christian walk than any other relationship I ever had? Because he's a builder and not a wounder. And I'm just going to say this out loud. Real men lead women to Christ, not to their bedrooms. I know we've got some married men in the room, and you're going, well, hey, you know, hey wait a minute, what, you know, what, what does this do for me? And we've got some married women in the room. Guys, I'm just going to tell you this is big for you, because even though you're in a committed relationship and you're in a marriage, I guarantee you somewhere you're going to be tempted. Somewhere the marriage is going to be a little bit rough. Somewhere you're going to be struggling a little bit, and the grass is going to look greener. And there's going to be the secretary, and she's going to look at you with admiration, and you're going to be drawn. You're going to be doing some fighting, and suddenly there's going to be that husband of one of your friends, and he's going to talk to you for the first time in a long time, and you're going to be drawn. And somewhere in your heart, you're going to say, it's just physical. It's just something in the in-between time till our marriage gets past the rough patch. Flee. Flee sexual immorality. Don't even get close. It's water on an iPad. Our children are going to walk in the room and see what we're watching on TV. Flee sexual immorality. We're going to be sitting late at night and we're going to be tired and suddenly getting on the computer and going and searching on the internet. It's going to seem very appealing. Flee. And I'm just simply calling the people of corner. I'm just asking you, what if we turn the tide on this conversation? What if, what if we say in our generation, in our time, in our community, no, no more plastic car. We get it. We get that how God made us and created. This can never be just physical. And we are going to be the people of honor. Let's bow our heads. How good are you at fleeing? I'm just going to be honest with you. We did our survey. Asked how many of us were having sex outside of marriage. How many of us were in a marriage and having sex outside of marriage? How many of our singles were having sex with one another?
And I'm just going to tell you with honesty, a pastor's heart was broken. We're not doing very good at fleeing. We need people of honor to rise up. And guys, I know there's some of you in the room and you go, Lynn, I, I've already gone so far, man. My, my tape is so unsticky right now. I, I've had so many encounters and I've taken my soul there each time. And I, I can tell you that what you're saying today is true. I feel it in my life. It's changed every relationship now. It's not like it once was. There is a God who forgives and there's a God who's willing to work to restore. The story doesn't have to be done yet. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you in a moment. We, we come to you just acknowledging and admitting out loud we have listened to our culture on this topic. We have been so deceived about this. We, we have treated your most precious gift with such a casualness, and we've done it in a way that has brought absolute destruction to our lives. So God, I'm going to pray for those of us in here who would say, Lynn, I... I I've gone way too far. I've done way too much. May today be the day that they come to you and ask for forgiveness. And they just say, God, look, I know I've abused this. I need, I need you to begin to fix this in my life. I need you to begin to restore some stickiness to my soul that I could have relationship in the way that you prescribed. God, for singles in this room, that today would be the day of honor, that today would be the day they draw a line in the sand and they just simply say, I'm done with that. I'm done giving my body away physically as if it was recreation. I'm done. People who date me are going to be closer to Christ for having dated me, not more wounded and broken. God, I'm praying for married people right now who maybe are right on the very edge of an affair. They, their, their soul is already moving towards somebody else. It's only a matter of time till their body responds to. That God, today would be a day of honor. They would just stop that relationship in its, in its tracks. They would just say, no, I'm going to flee sexual immorality. It's too costly in my life. God, may you use us, the people of Cornerstone, to change our culture. To make people who don't understand this godly biblical principle jealous of us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.